So hi, everybody, and welcome back to the next edition of Transvox. And welcome to my conspirator in crime, the very marvellous Jenny Harvey. How the devil are you, Jenny? I'm very well. Hi, Jill. Hi, everyone. Great to be here. It's good to see you. And um, I don't know about you, but it's a warm day today. I mean, you know, people are taking their socks off in the northeast, and that's a very terrifying thing. Uh, people take everything off in the northeast. They don't feel cold. It's it's cold here in Stoke today. It's just not a yeah. I've got the sun out today. Yeah. But there's a general air of misery hangs over the area, isn't there? <laughs> Stoke. <laughs> um, no, uh, we're much maligned city in Stoke on Trent. Much maligned, much misunderstood. I, I I think I as I grow older, I get more sense of civic pride for where I come from. It's really weird. The older yeah. I get, the more proud I am to be a Stokey. But um, you know, um, but no, no, I'd say differently. We had a good set of election results, if I can be political, last uh, last week. So um, yeah, no. Things are looking yeah. up. I think it's yeah. I think it's because in my world, I've come from Newcastle upon Tyne. Of course, you've got that other place. We've got the, the proper Newcastle under line. Yeah. The, the, the odd one that's under under something. Yeah. Just yeah. saying. Well, look, we've um, we've got a lot to cover today um, because this is the first part of our eighty three part edition on healthcare. <laughs> <laughs> and I know when we started chatting about this earlier, Jen said, don't say there's more than one episode in case we run out of content. And um, <laughs> given how our predisposition to being easily distracted, let's see how we do. But when, yeah, we she, to... when she says easily distracted, right, whenever we do when we start, we agree something and then within two seconds, she'll throw a bomb into the conversation and then completely just try to run foot me. I'm sure she's just just playing with me like a cat playing with a toy, I think. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> no, well, we're going to stick to the plan today because I'm very We organized. are going to be disciplined. We are. <laughs> I've not been disciplined in a long time. No, I was going to say it's, um, it's a very <laughs> sad thing. So we're going to talk about uh, healthcare and some broader well-being, perhaps as well. And uh, we might touch on some things around surgery, doctors, stuff, bloods, you know, and general sort of trans health sort of issues. So, um, where's a good place to to start, uh, Jen? Where where should we where should we begin? I don't know. I mean, I thought maybe start off. I mean, I can I'll, we can do a bit of a compare and contrast, really, to how things have because it'll show how things have come on or not come on. Um, since since I transitioned, if, uh, maybe 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 that might enlighten us a little bit because I, I transitioned in two thousand and five, which was really interesting uh, with the NHS at the time. The NHS didn't automatically fund fund trans healthcare. The PCTs at the time said it wasn't a priority. You know the old stuff. Oh, we we need to spend money on other things, right? And you had to make yourself a special case. So back at that time, I had you no. Know, thoughts so I may not even get any healthcare and at all. So I already socially, you know, I already transitioned and socially transitioned without without that. But thankfully I got the I persuaded local NHS to refer me and uh and hence I was um referred down to the infamous Charing Cross mm. gender identity clinic for, for many years was really the only um well the certainly the biggest that people got got sent to um down in London behind uh an anonymous door on the back of a Sainsbury's that and you went up some stairs to, to that clinic and it was a you know um a really strange experience of, if I think back on it it was I, I don't know a thing how 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 the clinics operate these days but it was I mean I remember going up there I'd already transitioned I was already living my life and my view was are you either going to give me some help here or you're not so it's not going to change who I am for the rest of my life but please you know just 
give me a bit of help and um you know yeah. and, and through that clinic i did get some some help particularly in terms of hormones etc but felt a really odd process i was asked a bunch of dumbass questions if i'm being honest that they seem to want they seem to overly want you to be the most functioning well-functioning adult in the uk to be able to be to change a gender and we can my view is we can be just as screwed up as trans women as women are screwed up as men are screwed up it just yeah. i got asked questions like do you have a friend who would offer you 20 pounds or something or like how am i socially functioning why should that in a sense matter you know i'm not particularly yeah. good for socially functioning so it was really strange experience back then um and 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 what also just disturbed me a bit at the time uh, was how i i felt I was treated okay but i i'd be in the waiting room and there was other trans people there and trans uh women and men who were told for instance told why you're not dressing feminine enough if you're a trans mm -hmm. woman why you're not dressing masculine enough you know there was yeah. a very old-fashioned view paternalistic view of what trans people were back in 2005 was yeah. my experience i hope i think things have improved but yeah and that's interesting because i was chatting to a, a trans colleague of mine because I, I looked at transition at 12 years 12 years ago and it was a very different process because you didn't really go to a doctor you went to a psychiatrist oh i went to a psychiatrist first yeah yeah. So, you know, I went and I was formally diagnosed. And I remember me and then, you know, because obviously I wanted hormones and I, you know, you go through the the thing we talked about in social transition, which is mm. what does the word mean? How does it all mean? But basically yeah. going, someone waves their sort of hands over you, having conducted this very strange spurious test and says, medically, you are trans. So now I can allocate you some hormone treatment. And so, and so that was the process when I, now this time it's different. So currently you can go to the doctor and, 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 you know, chatting to other trans people, it's quite interesting, whether trans mask or trans femme, it's extraordinarily patchy what might happen to you. So yeah. that's, you can go into some surgeries and um, you're welcomed in, you're dealt with quite fairly, you know, treated courteously, professionally, the sort of right pronouns are used and, 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 and that's fine. You have a conversation and what can happen is therefore you're referred to a gender identity clinic because if you want to go down the public route or if you want to go down the private route what you can do is you can agree something called shared care with a private or a private medical provider prescription yeah. provider so that's great uh, however you do hear stories of people going in and um, not being addressed people saying they're not prepared to actually give you care they're certainly not prepared to do shared care because it's very expensive and some of the private health, health providers need three monthly blood tests for example and the gp will do that because you're on a half private half public route and the biggest challenge of course at the moment is how long it takes to get an appointment with the gender clinics now i remember someone saying to me um it was taken they've been waiting six and a half years so far for their first appointment and then when you go to the first appointment which is just basically to check you out and sort of check that you go i don't know don't know what god knows what they check and then they have to have a second appointment to go back and then if you want to go on medically and then you know talk about so other treatments um you'll often be referred to um resources that the nhs has around speech therapy and yeah, it seems I that speech therapy yeah and it seems that they're quite happy to refer you to that and and i've not met a certain some person yet who has said his work but it's sort of it's they've obviously got a deal somewhere with somebody and because that happens and then and then you go through the whole process to get um treatments now it so happens that last night i met someone who had decided to transition at the age of 39 and i met her she's 42 
she was fully transformed um breast augmentation throat shave facial feminization surgery um button surgery um voice work the lot in three years wow now that was costing nearly 30 grand yeah and this is and this is the problem it's the medical provision in this country at the moment it's different in different countries obviously uh america if you've got insurance and if you work for a big organization they'll fund all these costs for you but for us you know there's a big disparity in cost and actually the the interesting commentary they they came out with or she came out with was if she'd gone for example to a specialist trans provider for breast augmentation it would have cost nearly double what it costs going to a non-specialist trans provider of breast augmentation and so her tip to me was you know you really need to shop around obviously for the facial feminization stuff it's really important but if you go in the private room, it's really it's really you need to be careful you need to check out people you need to meet them you need to talk to them there's a lot of work going on in turkey and some other countries that you need to be very careful because i don't know if you might find this knowing it working in the nhs but people are having operations abroad and sort of coming back and the operations are not being done successfully and then suddenly the nhs are thrown into this remedial or emergency side of being able to pick things up so it's so it's it's better because it's organized but it's less better it's not as good because it's not effective or it's patchy and i think that's where people find the frustration and uh you know we all know how the stress of hanging on for you know three weeks for a, um an appointment is so imagine waiting six six and a half years it's horrendous isn't it jen no it is and that's that's the point i i i would argue that it's worse than back in, as I say, I could only talk yeah. about my own experience in 2005. I too had to go through a psychiatry route, which seemed fairly pointless. I was already um, living as a woman. There was nothing they were going to do. In fact, I remember what my psychiatrist said to me at the end of the first appointment. He said to me, we're going to support you, Jenny, obviously, because you're going to live as a woman anyway. You know, We're going to support you. Obviously, you know who you are. He says, but there is one thing. He said, this is my psychiatrist. He says, it's my religion. Uh, I said, which is an odd thing for a psychiatrist to tell me at the end of a, yeah. didn't seem appropriate. And I said, well, what's that? He said, well, I'm a, I'm a sort of, I guess, a fundamental Christian, he said, um, which is a really thing. I mean, I guess they were being honest, but it's a really odd thing for a psychiatrist because basically the subtext was, I believe you're a sinner in some way, I guess. Yes. Um, but so all very weird, but it was never going to change uh, my life path in that respect what but at least i was able to access and then once i was accessed the waiting time was weeks for me to get down to my first appointment down in london what we have now is just down cruel the 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 nhs is worse because the nhs is saying we fund this we recognize this we know this is important but you wait six years people can't wait six years we've lost people from the community because they haven't been able to wait and they've you know they've there's 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 two or three examples that the coroner's court has been cited that the waiting lists have led to somebody taking their own life I and think it's that's not and, and not awful and not everybody in every location in the country has to wait eight, six years it can be quicker it can be slower and i think and i think that's the challenge so i think when it comes to healthcare, one of the challenges we have is that when you change your gender markers of course physiologically mm. you can still have the traits of um the the sexuality you were born with so for example if you're trans femme you may have prostate issues in later life and you know there are there are occasions where trans mask people can become pregnant you know so there's there's a challenge in the nhs because 
part of part of our job, I suppose, is trying to educate them because the, their paperwork systems have to catch up with the fact that we're we we may we may show as one thing when we're presenting a stone, we're living our gender identity is one thing, but medically and physiologically we're actually tagged as something else. And so we often show, I know um, trans mask people show on breast screening things and um, trans trans femme people at the age of 50 immediately get um, screening sessions. So it's it's the, the system's a bit upsy-downsy because obviously well, I, it's, it, find, the, it finds it hard to cope with that change perhaps. It is difficult. I think w- w- yeah. what I see, the, the, there's a tension, right? So we have a tension as, as patients. And the tension is we have a right for our gender history not to be di- divulged. We have a right, and I change, easy to change your details at the NHS, go see your GP. You have a right for that gender history not to be disclosed, right? Yeah. Uh, that is your right. But in certain aspects of healthcare, in certain aspects of healthcare, your your gender history is has some relevance with blood tests and things yeah. like that, markers, right? So that's the way I'd put it. It's your gender history. It's not that you're one thing nor another. I would use it in a sense to try to use that language. It's just that your history, you know, just as anybody's medical history has has some things that need to be taken into account. Um, I wasn't. None of this was explained to me when I changed my details. Mm-hmm. So I changed my details at the GP. Um, very early on in my straight away in my transition i was living full-time right i hadn't got referred to gender identity clinic but i changed my details at the nhs because this is how i'm living now right changed everything in details and literally um a month later and this is before i'd even gone to the gender identity clinic to have you know any gender affirming care i got sent a a letter asking me to go for cervical screening and you know part of me thought well whoever's doing that's going to have some trouble um carrying that out put it that way um and i have rightly been sent for breast screening pretty soon after but have i have i been uh, appropriately advised on prostate screening things like that there's a real tension because on one hand i'm a woman i that shouldn't be disclosed unless it's necessary but it's what points it's necessary if i'm accessing mental health services my gender history isn't relevant no. to that it wasn't relevant when i broke my leg has nothing to do with me breaking my leg you know mm. so um you know um although you know maybe people the, the staff are aware i was trans because you know i was sound i mean i don't pass easy but that's not the relevant point and i think there's a tension there so what i think we need in gps we need some proper advice to people because there's a way you can link your old my understanding is there's a way you can link your old um medical records to your new medical records once you change your details and there's a there's a way of linking it that can protect that can uh, protect your your gender identity and history as rightly so but also then link back if you need it there was no advice i think so i just changed mine and whenever i go and see my doctor because they're not you know we're like, well we don't know what to do right sort mm-hmm. of thing so there's a there's an element of if you if you want to say right and you've got the right to say i don't want my gender history disclosing i am a woman i am a man that is who i am and that's how you treat me um that you can be putting your health at risk that, yeah. i guess that's the that's the tension for you as individuals uh, as far as a, my experience as a, a trans woman goes the nhs has treated me as a woman from that point onwards in every contact so I've no, I've had no as a patient had no uh, 
I'm not talking about being misgendered when I was impatient. That that is know. mistakes that people make. But as far as the NHS as a system goes, I've been treated. So I think that's what needs happening. And it's it's stuff around that. I think GPs are where it's key and primary care. And you talked about some people have had really bad experiences. We've heard where some GPs have refused to use somebody's uh, proper name, somebody's right pronouns, and that is just unacceptable because. You won't go back to your GP if you're treated like that. Yeah. And that and then puts risk on. So I think there's a lot of work to do around primary care, particularly. I think we are making some progress within hospitals and things like that. I mean, yeah. most hospitals now have, or certainly sizable acute hospitals, will have some trans inclusion policy awareness and, and you know, and, and some understanding of that. But And I think, and I think most of these things, when we discuss things anecdotally, you know, um, so it's so important that the actual statistics come out here because like mm. in any graph, you know, there's a bell curve. You're in it, we usually, and then we usually talk about the stuff that's the most extreme in both ends, the most brilliant and the most terrible. And actually most people's experience is sort of in the middle. You know, it's, it's like, it's like everyone, you know, everyone goes to the doctor and has different experiences up here. We have fantastic healthcare. It's just as simple as that down South. We just didn't. And, you know, it, it's one of those things and that's, it's, a, that's irrelevant of gender. You know, so so, I th- but I think there is something to bear bear in mind for your own health is to, and I always think it's about being sort of like a personal scientist. You have to understand that if you, in your history, if you were one, you know, one um, biology or the other, you have to recognise that still exists in your body. Then you just have to look out for yourself. You have to check yourself. You have to be aware of your body and um, making sure that you know things work i mean i'm a trans woman i have prostate issues and i have and i look after it because i need, I need because my father had prostate cancer and there's a likelihood that i might and it's it's no point sitting here going well i'm a trans woman i shouldn't have a prostate therefore i won't think about it you've got you've got to be honest with yourself and therefore then when you sit down with your healthcare provider you need to be honest with them so they can be dispassionate about your care they can actually treat you as a as the person in front of them with the presenting conditions and i think sometimes that helps would you agree no i think i think that's, that's very good advice i think the where it becomes a problem is and where it's a problem in the uk at the moment is we have to assert our gender identities because at the moment the uk doesn't seem to and parts of the uk it's a minority but parts of the uk don't seem to want to uh, uh see us as valid so that's where you become, I'm going to assert my, my gender identity and have to assert it um, instead of being able to be relaxed enough to say, right? I, I, was thinking, I was only thinking about this the other day where it's sort of my attitudes towards my own history that I'm sort of a, a more fundamentalist, not wanting to talk about myself pre-transition than I was uh, earlier on, maybe, you know, 10 years ago, where I was more than happy to, to talk about um, my identity pre-transition and talk about that and I think it's because th- my attitudes are slightly hardened because feel under attack all the time so I can under- I, I wouldn't Chris I'm look I'm the worst person for looking after my own health so for me to be giving any health advice because I'm terrible you know I need to drag me off you know I'd need dragging if I to the doctor when I should should go um, so I'm not a good example in that respect um, but it is very good advice to to understand that you can be a man and be a woman if you're and with who happens to be trans and you can also acknowledge that your your biological history has a relevance in yeah. some circumstances and that needs considering but 
also not in every circumstance. And this thing, you know, that you, you see for trans people to see that the, the clinicians and doctors sometimes put everything down to you being trans when it's not. I mean, broken yeah. leg is nothing to do with being trans. But mental health, my depression is not about me being trans. It's about maybe about the way trans people are treated, but or, or place in society. But it's not about inherently about yeah. about our gender identity. But that can often be you know that that's that happens i think that people make that assumption yes and i think and i mean there's there's a broader point here as well that for people who are going down this path it can be stressful it can be difficult it can be lonely it can be excluding it can be all those things and actually there's a huge body of evidence now around depression and uh, general well-being around the importance of diet and exercise and and people say oh my god here we go diet and exercise again and i don't mean being on a diet i mean actually eating well eating naturally looking after yourself and actually getting the right level of exercise as much as you possibly can and and it's something to bear in mind it's actually quite hard if you're trans especially at the beginning stages going out and exercising but it's something that's so good for you makes you feel good it improves your your well-being mm. your all those sorts of different things and i think it's something worth thinking about for yourself that that if you if we're going to face a journey like this, which is by its very nature can be quite daunting, it'd be very exciting as well. But it's important to look after yourself. Self care is really important. It's, you know, making sure you cook well, making sure you live, you know, with some sort of with some sort of exercise regime, it's really important. Now, I'm not going to moralise here. I'm just saying it's good for your own mental and physical health to look after yourself. And often, what happens is we can become so inner inner absorbed we sort of forget to look after ourselves because actually we're so concerned about what's going on outside of us or we're more obsessing about the situation in which we find ourselves. And sometimes there's, there's a joy and a, and a distance and, a, and um, I don't know, an appreciation of life actually when you can actually just see yourself getting better because you're eating and feeling okay and, um, and exercising and such like. I mean, I'm not an exercise fan. Let me put it out there, but I don't mind a walk. And, you know, I knock out the old nine, 10,000 steps a day if I possibly can. And, you know, at the moment, sunny and it's absolutely fine. Some people can't, but, you know, it's. It, I just think it's, we are, I just think we have to think about self-care. I think it's really important. I, 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 I abs- you're absolutely right. I, I, it's always better when we disagree in podcasts, isn't it? Know, but, we'll st- we'll, I'm afraid we'll I'm, struggling, I'm struggling to find out. And you're absolutely right. I think... And I'm exactly not the example um, of that, um, you know, in terms of my own health as physically. And I, I think I think there is a, and I don't know if it's going to be common, but I think there is a bit of a downward spiral uh, that that um, you know, with with how a lot of a lot of us are feeling as trans people in the UK right now, and now that's definitely affecting our mental health, and we start looking after ourselves. And you know, I'll talk about I put on weight through. COVID, not moving around enough, feel rubbish about myself, don't care, you know, don't take enough care, feel a general spiral of feeling worse about myself and therefore not going out so much because I feel like I look rubbish. And and it's all that. And there's a definite spiral there yeah. that um that 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 is that can be quite dangerous, I think, becoming more isolated. But particularly that you've gen you, 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 my gender identity builds on that because I'm less confident how I look and how I present than yeah. I was ten years ago. I remember, I remember that. I remember the time, particularly when I, I know I say it was, it was post transition and life was just absolutely brilliant. And 
going along to the swimming after work. And it was a challenge because I remember thinking, you know, any woman my size feels slightly um, exposed in a swimming costume, mm. but I needed to do it, right? So mm. I went to the swimming, went to swimming and started going swimming after work regularly. I felt brilliant. Not only did I overcome, you know, a small barrier of hurdle of acceptance, um, you know, and it was great. I, I felt better, right? And, and that seemed so far distant now to me in terms of, um, and I, and, you know, and it's easy to, it's easy to feel like you're making excuses and blaming the world, but it, it certainly doesn't help when all the, you've seen all this language written about trans people that just, you know, reinforces those demons at the back of your mind that, 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 that maybe stopped me transitioning earlier, that, that gave me that doubt. And, and I, you know, I, I think that's I think that's a danger for our community, and that's you know yes. as I said, a reference to the not the article before that said trans people in the UK's mental health is at crisis point. Yes, and, 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 and you know and it's not making an excuse, but I, no. I, I take responsibility for myself. But yeah. it certainly doesn't help. No, you know? and it doesn't help. And one of but some of the simplest things we can do to our help our own mental health is actually the things that we can actually control, mm. and. A bit of self-love, a, self, a bit of self-acceptance, a bit of self-care, you know, eating well, all that sort of stuff. There's simple steps to take. And, of course, reaching out to people who can help. You know, of making course, yeah. sure you have a network of people you can talk to, whether that's a professional network because you're at um, work or a, in, in an organisation or a charity, maybe a counselling organisation, maybe a support group, maybe a trans support group, maybe just a bunch of friends. And I think that's that thing about you don't have it feels sometimes like you're completely on your own That's... and and it's and it doesn't have to be that way and the courage just comes from and and you know you can be in a group of people and feel on your own as well but at least at least you're in a group of people then and i go to my trans support group and it's just nice to be able to go there now jen we're going to do part two of this episode quite soon so we're going to leave healthcare for the moment and next time we're going to tackle some of the big subjects and cover a little bit more on mental health how does that sound yeah, that sounds uh, that sounds um, great, Jill. I'll, I'll, I'll look forward to that. And I told you there'd be a part two, so I'll see you next week. Yes, yeah, so I'll have to do some thinking. Yes, see you next week, um, Jill. Great as always. Thanks for listening to this episode of Transvox. It's been a joy to have you with us. Um, if you want to um, make contact with us, you can contact us at gillian at transvox.co.uk. And if you'd like to support the work we do, please go to Patreon and go to page Transvox. And all of our money goes to our nominated charity. And Jen, you've chosen the charity for the next number of episodes. Which one have you chosen? Our charity is called Beyond Reflections, which is a charity that provides support, and counselling to trans people, non-binary people and their friends and their families across the UK. An amazing charity doing some amazing work, really important. So please, if you can give. Great. And if you want to go and have a look at Beyond Reflections, it's beyond-reflections.org.uk. And uh, But as I say, if you'd like to make a contribution to what we're doing, because we love to help the people who help us. Uh, again, if you've got ideas for um, the show, things you'd like to ask us, questions, comments, applause, or um, brickbats, feel free to send it all Absolutely. in to Gillian at transvox.co.uk. Until the next time, goodbye. Bye-bye.